Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. You know if you are a fan or have been watching The Thriller Zone for any time here in the past year, ordinarily, in pretty much every single show, we feature the best thriller writers in the world. Front row seat. Whether it's books, movies, or TV, if it thrills, we're talking about it. As you may recall, at the very beginning of my show a year ago, my pitch line was for thriller seekers everywhere. That's what we do, and we hope to always deliver on it. However, every once in a while, I like to branch out. And now that we're in the new season, we want to, in the second year, tell you more about, say, the business of writing. I mean, as authors, we know how to craft a good story. We're storytellers. We know how to outline, structure, the three-act play, etc. But sometimes, some of us, and I'm speaking for myself, need help on understanding the business of writing, right? And I'm not talking about just advertising and marketing, but the real business of it. So today's bonus episode is about that very thing. And one of the best folks in the business is Jane Friedman. Janefriedman.com is has become one of the resources for me to learn a lot about the business of writing. So when I thought, as we expand into the new year, let's bring her to the show. She also has a book called The Business of Being a Writer. <laughs> Imagine that. We'll be talking about that on the show. This is going to be one of those shows that uh, you might want to pull out a pen and paper and just jot some things down. And then after the show, run over to her website, jfriedman.com. All right. So thank you for joining us on this bonus edition of The Thriller Zone. Hello, Jane Friedman. Hello, David. It's so nice to finally meet you. Likewise. I feel like I know you already between our uh, mutual friendship of, of uh, Chris and Tetsy and the fact that I follow pretty much everything you do. I... <laughs> well, that's part of the point of, of trying to be public and transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Thriller Zone. Thank you. You know, ordinarily we talk to thriller authors, but uh, here in our new season, we are expanding our reach. So we're going to, you know, in the interest of helping writers excel in the business of writing, we're branching out to uh, folks like yourself, mm -hmm. which I'm sure that you have a bevy of information to share with us today. Indeed I do, if you're looking for publishing information. Well, you know, um, God, there's so many questions. Uh, I think I'll just jump right into it. You know, your your website says that you report on the publishing industry and help authors, you know, pretty much understand the business, which in my estimation, that's probably could potentially be one of the biggest weaknesses that writers have. They They get all concerned about story arcs and characters and plots and so forth. And then they finally get the book out there and they're like, oh, there's business to do too. Yes, it's a product. And in fact, yeah, it has to be marketed, promoted. Which is where you come in. Yes. I know that you worked, uh, if my memory serves, you worked at Writer's Digest. Was it immediately prior to launching this business of yours? Uh, there was a little gap, uh, let's say of 
five years between the time I left Writer's Digest and I started doing full-time freelance writing, which includes the Hot Sheet newsletter, which reports on the publishing in- industry, as well as a variety of other things. But you've written, uh, I, I know that we're going to talk about your one book that uh, is very uh interesting to me about the business of writing, but have you ever written fiction? Uh, and uh, forgive me if I don't know that already. <laughs> I mean, I made some attempts when I was a creative writing student in college, but I quickly realized that was not where my talent lies. You're a storyteller by nature. I've seen enough of your webinars and podcasts to know that you flat out know how to tell a story. I don't like making things up. I think the real world is actually far more interesting than the fictional ones. Um, that's not to say I don't enjoy fictional stories. I do. But as far as what I want to create, uh, there is more than enough. <laughs> is it just around me in real life? <laughs> you know, that's perfectly fair. And it's here's an interesting thing, Jane. I have had a conversation with many writers over the past year, as you may or may not know, we just celebrated our one year anniversary. And I talk to more writers, especially prolific ones, like uh, Dean Koontz is coming up on the show. Uh, I've spoken with Don Winslow, Jeffrey Deaver, some of these guys who have been flat out prolific in their output. And I, for some reason, I'm very interested to find out that they're voracious nonfiction readers. They go, if I spend my entire day writing makeup stories, why would I spend my off time doing the same? What do you think about that? I think some of the most interesting stories told by novelists are how they happened on the premise of their novel. Um, Margaret Atwood, I think perhaps has one of the best stories in that uh, relates to The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, I wonder if she tells stories about her other novels that aren't nearly as well-known or famous, but that, coalesced around a series of newspaper clippings. Uh, I think she does that to this day. She clips out things that catch her attention. And so there's no doubt that in my mind that much of fiction is inspired by what we see and then imagine what if after we read it. Um, so yeah, I don't know that if that directly answers your question, yeah. but um, there you are. I also find that interesting, funny that you should meant that. Uh, I, I'm not going to say who said this because I don't want them to feel um, that I'm speaking out of turn for them. But they they said that uh, I've had this said to me by two different well-known authors inside the last week, uh, only because I've been hanging around them. And they both said things to the effect of, man, <laughs> they said, well, the reason I'm, I'm patting myself on the back, but I don't mean it that way. The, one of the reasons we like your podcast is that you don't always ask the every single same question that everyone asks and that you don't ask the number one question we hate, which is where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, one of the most detested questions by far. Yeah, and I don't think I knew it was so detested until these two gentlemen went, oops, they're men, went on and on about why they hated it so much. <laughs> I love your website. Uh, I'm a big fan of well-orchestrated, well-manufactured websites, especially ones that are 
simple and elegant and orderly and you just kind of get in you you know you know at a glance without a whole lot of scrolling what the person and or offering is about you know what you're going to learn you know where you're going to go and uh and on your website janefriedman.com we we find out a free newsletter which is electric speed i follow that one uh, a paid newsletter the hot sheet which is uh, I, I read recently it won some huge award. What what award did that win? Uh, I think you're referring to Digital Book World's Media Outlet of the Year. Okay, well that's pretty nice, pretty substantial company, nice. right? Yeah. And then uh, these bevy of online classes. Now, one I took recently um, was Memoir Beginnings, Memoir, sorry, with uh, Lisa Cooper Ellison. Oh, First of all, a couple things. That was a great class. Secondly, I, mean, I can't take that much credit for it. It was it was Lisa's class. So, yeah, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some praise here because I've been doing this my whole life and and you did this so elegantly. You were such a great. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your skirt. You you were you, it was elegant. It was simple. You you led the uh webinar. You'd, there was no wasted time, no idle chit chat, uh, which are, for some reason it, it, that annoys the hell out of me when I get when I see people get on and then they scroll through. Oh, hi, Sarah from Paducah. And they'll go on and on and on. And I'm like, I'm not here for, uh, you know, an adult romper room going hi kids. I'm I'm I want to get to the juice. So anyway, and then solid Q&A. And I just so worth 25 bucks for crying out loud thank you thank you yes i you know i my goal there is to offer accessibility for anyone wherever they live um to good writing instruction that's not trying to sell something else um so yeah i take a lot of pride in it and i think that's part of your magic jane you don't you're not you're not a salesperson you 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 say here are the uh, things that we offer Here's our specialty. Here's what you can learn. Get at it. But uh, you, don't, you don't hard sell it. I really appreciate that about you. Speaking of which, can I get on the couch, Dr. Friedman? Sure. I, uh, I won't belabor this, but I was approached by, I had a conversation with some friends of mine recently, and I was telling a particular story. I'm going to keep it real generic because you'll understand why. And I'm telling this really generic story about my background. And they went, oh my God, that would make a great story. And I'm like, yeah, but who would who'd want to hear that? And they both went, we would, we would love that. And I'm like, yeah, but memoir makes me feel so nervous. They said, well, maybe it doesn't have to actually be called that. I'm like, well, if it wasn't called that, I, I could do that. You know, I don't know why that word freaks me out. And, and then I went, okay, who... Where could I go to learn how to do that? Because I have no idea. I went straight to your class. I don't remember. Well, I'm part of your newsletter, so I, I got the information. Took that class, and that really helped. I got to be honest with you. It helped jumpstart my understanding of the mechanics of writing MMR. So can you just kind of share that with my listeners who are thinking, oh, geez, I, I, if Dave's thinking about it, I might too, you know? About writing a memoir. Yeah, and just yeah. the mechanics of that. I would say, you know, I don't want to start out on the negative side, but I'll go ahead <laughs> because it's the mistakes that come up first when people approach memoir that really 
torpedo the whole effort. So one of the big mistakes that people go into is trying to tell their entire life story. <laughs> um, so essentially we're getting an autobiography, not a memoir. Memoir is supposed to be pretty focused on a very particular chapter in your life, or if not a, like a, a, a year or two or several years, then a very specific problem, not every problem in your life, but a specific problem that you're focused on. So I find that people embarking on memoir just find it really hard to achieve that level of discipline because they see, or they've made meaning out of how, how all of these things add up to their life. And they wanna convey the expanse of all of that. But the honest truth is most of us don't live lives so remarkable that people want to hear about it from beginning to end. So you have to really figure out what's the most compelling bit of this. And certainly the feedback that you got from friends, when you hear someone say, oh, that's a great story, you should write it down, take it seriously, but understand that interest is limited to the exciting parts. And I'm going to, I'm going to share just a tad bit more. There was a, you can call it mystical. You can call it magical. You can call it metaphysical transcendent. There was a moment in time in my life in a transitionary point that something extremely significant happened to me out of the blue. And it was not only a little mind numbing and more than a bit unnerving, but it changed, it literally allowed me to change my focus and take a different path. And when I told that story, that's when I got the, uh, what? Especially if you knew the background from which I came. So now that I've got you appropriately teased, <laughs> we can speak about it off mic. Um, anyway, what I loved about that class is it did exactly that, Jane. It said, hey, we're not talking about, well, I was born in this year, and then I'm going to tell you, if, no, no, I don't care about that. I want to know what's the pivotal yes. transcendent moment. Yeah. All right, I do have a, uh, I have a big, broad question, but I'm going to do this little tiny one first because I, I, I try to think if um, my listeners were able to chat with me like uh, back in the day when I was on live radio and they would just simply call in and go, hey, Jane, ask, ask David, ask Jane this. What do you think of the two or three, no big press here, uh, most commonly asked questions that you get uh, about the business of publishing? I would say, you know, keep in mind that most people who come to my doorstep are beginners. That's where the largest population of writers are. They're at the beginning. And then the funnel gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you go. So the top questions are things like, how do I get a book published? Uh, or how do I find an agent or a publisher? And then for people who are a little bit further along, uh, they start asking questions that relate to reasons for rejection, like how do I build a platform? Or do I really need to be on social media? Um, do I need to have X, Y, Z to get a book deal? Because I've noticed agents and editors talk a lot about this. Um, and then for people who struggle to find an agent or publisher, it's often, how can I self-publish well? How can I find a hybrid publisher? How much should I pay? And then you get into the mechanics of that side of the industry. 
Well, and this is the perfect tee up for uh, one of the drop down tabs on your website, because in your blog section, in my opinion, you feature the top five inquiries, which is kind of what led me to that. But mm -hmm. it is, it's number one, how to get a traditional publisher Two, how to self publish, how to write a nonfiction book proposal, how to find a lit agent, how to write a query letter. And it's so funny, because those are the exact five that I would, you know, 10 years ago, I was doing the same thing going, man, how does that even happen? Now, the only thing of those that I haven't done yet, I've written a query letter. I found literary agents. Don't have one. Um, writing a nonfiction book. I don't have book. one either. So yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I'm among friends. Uh, this one you know, I'm going to drill down on. This one, uh, how to write a nonfiction book proposal, because as much as I enjoyed the memoir close uh, class, I do want to drill down on that one, but uh, I know how to self-pub. The the uh, mechanics of advertising for self-publishing, that's a whole other ballywick. And do you have any broad uh, interest and or experience in that world? I do not personally advertise for any of my products anywhere um, with maybe like some very fine exceptions for like newsletter uh, advertising, but, I know the experts on things like Amazon ads, Facebook ads, uh, BookBub ads. Um, and so I often feature that content, but I, uh, I have a lot of sympathy for authors who are trying to navigate that. It is, uh, if you think business is hard, just wait till you look at how to advertise on some of these platforms. It's, um, it's very technical. Not only technical, Jane, but the way that the uh, algorithms are constantly shifting and changing. And here's a question I've always wanted to ask. And let's use let's use Amazon. You could use BookBub or Facebook, but I, I'm going to Amazon. Why do you suppose that they constantly change it up, change the rules, change the parameters, because it feels as a novice counterintuitive to always make me off center when I'm trying to figure out your system to play by the rules. Does that make any sense? It does. And I think what you're referring to is just um, Silicon Valley's approach to iteration and continuous improvement. You know, it is not in their DNA to put something out and leave it alone. There is part of it is they have to keep things updated. They're always learning new things. They're always drawing in new insights. So that's just, it's, it's both the pro and the con, I would imagine. So yeah, that's the same is true of social media, really any piece of technology. iPhones would be a classic example. They're always going to be making improvements and it's just part of what you have to deal with. Okay. I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. I think on a selfish level, I think, okay, I'm just trying to learn how to play by the rules so that I can advertise and get people to buy my books. And if you're constantly changing the rules, then how can I keep up? But yeah. Okay, back to that broad question. Um, how do you see the world of traditional publishing today, especially as in comparison to when you got started in this biz or, or, or you know, in the last couple of decades? When I started in the 90s, there were so many things that were not in place, including Amazon for part of that decade. I think Amazon was established in 95, 96 in that ballpark. There was no Kindle. There weren't any eBooks that we could consider a real market. And there wasn't really 
the internet as we know it today, there wasn't any social media. So if you do look at like the, if we start, my career actually spans tremendous change. And there, there is very little in common with when I started and what happens today. I mean, it's really, I can't imagine a more dramatic time of transformation. Now, depending on where you sit in the industry, you're gonna see different things. Like you'll have different opinions about that change <laughs> and it will have affected you in different ways. Um, and it's, uh, you know, in the eye of the beholder often, whether or not you think this has been, a, had a net good or a net bad. I tend to be more optimistic. I'm a realist, but I tend to think we are making progress and that generally the field has opened up to more people and made more types of success possible. Whereas when I started, it was really kind of traditional or nothing. And that's not the case today. Yeah, there are so many huge success stories of people who have uh, decided to go down the self-publishing uh, trail and do really, really well, which begs the question, and I say this for some of my listeners who think that the getting the agent and going the traditional way is the end all, um, it's not necessarily the case anymore, is it? No, there is an established market for self-published work. It's probably somewhere between 20 and 30% of the overall book market. And unfortunately, a lot of it can't be measured because it falls into this area that Amazon controls and they're not telling, you know, the exact parameters of the market they now have. But it's meaningful and it's not going away. But neither do I think traditional publishing is dead. The, these, these two sectors will continue to coexist. And that begs the question, um, why hasn't there been a, and it's, it's somewhat rhetorical, but it's why hasn't there been a competitor to Amazon? You know, I, I keep thinking, why hasn't somebody, why hasn't a Elon Musk fill in the blank? Cause he's pretty wealthy decide to create something. And I know that this was a passion of Bezos from way back when, and he does deserve certain accolades for having that dream, living that dream, creating that dream, creating the reality and the platform for writers. But you know, you do say to yourself, when I'm only getting somewhere between 30 and 70% of the book, is, is that particularly fair? But then again, capitalism is a lot. I don't know that I have a good answer to your question, but I could at least say where there's signs of weakness. Um, one of the areas of weakness is in the public perception of Amazon and how it treats people, its workers, whether or not it's good for culture and society. There's a lot more attention now, especially after the pandemic or as we hopefully come out of the pandemic, that people are making socially responsible decisions about how they spend their money. They want to, it's conscious consumerism, um, especially younger generations are paying attention to the values and the politics of the companies they do business with. And I don't think Amazon comes out looking too good on that front. <laughs> so that's a weakness. Um, another weakness is that their platform has become littered with paid placements that degrade the experience. There's also less trust for what we buy on Amazon, because we know we, we may or may not know this, but there are lots of third parties selling on there that Amazon has no quality control, like, or much oversight. This goes, of course, far beyond books. We're talking about all sorts of consumer goods. Sure. And this, this has been reported on by every outlet 
everyone from New York Times to Wall Street Journal to, you know, pick your favorite outlet. Um, and so there's less trust, um, but, you know, Am like you said, capitalism, uh, you know, Amazon is very focused on selling as much as possible. And if they stopped some of the practices of third-party merchants, and third-party sales, they would see a decline. So I don't know how they tackle these issues, but those are like, if someone wanted to launch a competitor, that's what I would be paying attention to. Yeah. Well, before we get to uh, our rapid fire questions, I do want to ask you a couple things. Well, first of all, let's pimp your book, uh, pimp, sorry, promote your fine literary composition called The Business of Writing, where it's all about information. So uh, I'd love to just take a couple of steps back and say, and it feels somewhat obvious, but I don't feel bad asking this. Where did the idea for this book come from, the gestation? How long was it in process and where does it stand today? What can it really offer my listeners, readers who want to learn about the business of writing? Partly the book's roots are in having a relationship with the publisher, the University of Chicago Press. I had already contributed to a couple of their books and I was known to the editor. And so, you know, relationships like that tend to generate conversations like, do you want to do a book? <laughs> and what would it be on? Um, and, but if I look at like the more like existential or philosophical or the argument that I'm seeking to make with this book, why it's worth my time to do it. I was just attending panel after panel at more literary conferences. I'm thinking here of like the Association of Writers and Writing Programs with all of the MFA students. And panel after after panel, you'd have people come up on there and saying, no one told me um, I couldn't make a living off this, or I went into debt $60,000 for my MFA, and now uh, how am I supposed to pay that back? And it's it was just shocking to me and a, almost a dereliction of duty on the part of writing programs that they weren't being transparent or telling the truth about the worth of these degrees and how people were in fact going to turn their writing into a business. It's, you know, to some extent, we think that's beneath writers or art, that good art will find its audience in, in and of itself, which is not true. Um, so the book was, I, my hope was that it would be adopted by professors and used in creative writing programs so that people understood what they were getting into if they truly wanted to make writing a career. Well, let's give a little bit of praise here uh, on the business of being a writer. Publishers Weekly calls it a comprehensive and eminently readable guide that should be on every writer's desk. And uh, to your point, destined to become a staple reference book for writers and those interested in publishing careers. As though that's not enough, Library Journal starred review says an invaluable compendium of practical advice with encouragement for aspiring and seasoned writers alike. I feel like I should have classical music going beneath that. <laughs> the reviews were very kind, yes. And before we do our fun little part of the show as we wrap things up, because I know you've got a busy day, before we get to that, um, I've, I'd love to ask you, it's the same question I ask all my authors, and this is nonfiction or fiction, right? because everyone has that golden piece of advice that something somewhere launched their uh the freedom within them to go this is what i want to do and you know or, or i heard this piece of advice and that encouraged me to keep going so what would be jane friedman's i give yourself grace many people beat themselves up 
for things that are not important, like, oh, I'm not writing every day. That does not matter. <laughs> You're still a writer, even if you don't write every day, or they didn't get the right agent, or they didn't get the right review, or they didn't sell in the right amount, or, you know, there are so many like rungs on the ladder of writing success and people feel bad or uh, lesser than because they didn't get on some rung. Um, so you have to give, you have to be patient and realize that everyone's path is very different. You're not going to repeat the same steps to success as the author you admire. You're going to find your own way and you have to give yourself the time and space for that. It's interesting. My wife is always chastising me in a loving way, of course, um, that when I get on that, I get on this, uh, thing where I just, it's gotta be done now. I, I've gotta, I gotta crank it in now. I gotta, I gotta get it done now. I gotta move, 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 move. And while I've always kind of been wired that way, which is kind of how it fueled the success of my career. Um, it isn't always the very best thing because I think, and I've learned this the hard way, Jane, if you rush it, I think about uh, in those early self-pub days when uh, Mr. Smarty Pants here went, oh, you know, I did a one over. It's okay. There's no mistakes. It'll be okay. People let some of those slide. No bueno. They don't do that and they don't like it. So take your time, right? I agree. It's it rushing the process almost always hurts more than it helps. All right, rapid fire questions is a fun little ditty. We just get to it and it's brainless. Pen and paper or keyboard? Keyboard. Oh, noisy coffee shop or quiet library? Coffee shop. Oh, tea or coffee while writing? Coffee. <laughs> Music, white noise or silence when writing? Silence at a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, if you finally had the chance to get away and disappear on an island with your husband, let's say hypothetically, and you were only allowed to take with you two, maybe three, because sometimes two freaks people out, books, what would they be and why? I would probably take books by Alan DeBotton because he keeps things real. That's one. That I, I can stop there. That's it. <laughs> Wow, you're the only person in the history of my doing this has anyone said, no, it's just one. Yeah, because usually they go, oh my God, I have like five. Can I narrow it down to like four? No, I said two or three. How about three? You know, anyway, well, good for you. Well, I travel light. <laughs> you know, we did not mention, but we should mention the uh, Hot Sheet Pub. Uh, uh, this is, I, I subscribed to this a while back. And in an interest of just cutting things, I cut that, but I'm going to come back to you, by the way. Thank you very much. And tell us about hotsheetpub.com before we scoot. It's a paid newsletter that offers people industry news every two weeks. It's mainly my analysis of what's happening and interpreting it for an audience of writers. So there are a lot of publishing news outlets out there, but it's for insiders. So I try to sift through all of that information and present to authors what's most meaningful to them, especially on earnings or future publication. And that's the 
whole reason I like it, and I'm going to re refer back to a comment I made earlier in the show, is there's just no idle chit chat. You're just cutting to the chase. And I guess that's just partly because, you know, who's got time to waste? So you cut to the chase, you give me all the essential stuff that I need, and I love it. And thank you. I just got this email from you. If, for my listeners to the Thriller Zone, if you'll use the code TZ20, Jane's going to offer 20% off a new annual subscription. And that is wonderful. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Yeah. So again, hotsheetpub.com. Use the code TZ20, get 20% off. And folks, if you'd like to learn more about Jane and all the wisdom that she has to offer, as you saw on this show today, there are two websites because she's that big. One is janefriedman.com, where we referenced many things today. And then, of course, her book, The Business of Being a Writer, is her companion site, which is businessofwriting.org. And you can also follow her on both Twitter and Instagram at Jane Friedman. Boom. Yes. Thank you so much for carving time out and just helping us understand the business and giving us those great little morsels of wisdom, Jane. Thank you, David. I've really enjoyed it. Folks, don't forget, coming up this Thursday, author of Rising Tiger, the one and only Brad Thor on The Thriller Zone. Be sure to listen on all your favorite podcast channels and, of course, thethrillerzone.com. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.